Mrs. Willie Jordan is the pastor and the president of the Fred Jordan Mission that was founded back in 1944. Since those days, the Fred Jordan Mission has fed and clothed and ministered to millions, tens of millions of people. This is a ministry that has reached out to the outcasts of society and has preached to the poor of society the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Mrs. Jordan, we are delighted today to have you as a guest on the Carter Report. Uh, we feel so privileged to have you with us and thank you for joining us. Thank you for the opportunity to be here and share what God is doing on the streets of Skid Row. What inspired your husband, Fred, to start this extraordinary outreach to the poor of society? The ministry of Fred Jordan Mission began really in a death cell in Texas. Fred was preaching a revival series down in South Texas. He heard that a young boyhood friend was in prison and had been sentenced to death for shooting three women and two of them died. Goodness. This was all while he was under the influence of alcohol. And he knew this young man. He had known this young man, grew up with him. They used to double date in college. Mm. And in a domestic dispute, his wife wouldn't let him see the little baby. And he went out and got drunk. And in those days, many down in South Texas mm -hmm. carried guns. And he went back to the home and demanded again to see the child. She said no. And he pulled out the gun and shot his wife, his mother-in-law, and another woman who was present. Two of those women died. Well, Fred went immediately to the prison to talk with this young man, Carl Dobbins. And he visited him every day for three weeks there in that cell. He talked to Carl about Jesus Christ and what Christ was willing to do for him. Carl said, well, I, I can never be saved. I could never be a Christian. I have done too many bad things. I even killed people. But Fred patiently opened the word of God and shared with him that salvation is full and free. It's not due to anything we do. It's all because of God's grace and his love for us. How did this get Fred, though, along the road to to start this mission. One day Carl said, Fred, I'm ready to receive this Jesus. And they knelt on the concrete floor and Carl asked the Lord Jesus to take away his sins and to become his savior. And while they were kneeling there, Carl grabbed Fred by the shoulders and he said, Fred, will you make me a promise? And Fred later said, how could I say no? This young man was going to his death in just a few days. He said, Carl, I'll do anything. What do you want? He said, Fred, warn other young men and young women what drugs and alcohol will do. It will destroy their bodies and will wreck their lives. And he said, please help them. And Fred promised Carl and they prayed. Carl died in Texas. He was put to death. He was put to yes. death for his crime. But Fred never forgot that promise. And when Fred came to California, he pastored a church, built a large church. But in the back of his mind, he remembered that promise. 
And Fred used to go to the area of town called Skid Row. Mm. And there he saw alcoholics and drunks, winos, men down on their luck, ex-convicts, unemployed men. And the Lord burdened his heart and he said, Lord, now is the time to keep that promise. And so he opened the first floor of a building that he leased and there started a mission for one purpose, to reach men, because that's all we had on Skid Row in those days. And he would have services and he would preach the eternal gospel of Jesus. And then after giving them an opportunity to come to Christ, he would feed them. And uh, that's the beginning of Fred Jordan Mission, a death cell in Texas, and now on Skid Row in Los Angeles for 60 years. Now, Willie, you're the president of this organization, and you're also the pastor. Yes. And you have a staff, and your children are involved too. Yes. What is a typical day like? Is there a typical day? A What's typical like? day is a day when everyone on the street is hungry. That's the one thing the people on the street share, a constant hunger gnawing away in their stomachs. We have drug addicts, drug users, prostitutes, battered mothers, frightened little children, drunks, ex-convicts, and they all live in this milieu called Skid Row. So it's Thousands no, of them. It's no longer just men. Sadly not. So grandmothers. Grandmothers hmm. who are caring for their grandchildren because their own children have died of an overdose or their own children are in prison and young because couples. of drugs. Young couples. Young couples, little children, babies. And so our doors are open every day of the year and we welcome them all. We feed them. We give them clothes. We care for many of their physical needs. But the most important thing we do is share the love of Jesus because that's the only hope for any of us, whether in Beverly Hills or on Skid Row. Is it dangerous there? It has become very dangerous. I grew up on Skid Row. That was the title of a, an essay that one of my daughters wrote when she was 11. She said, I grew up on Skid Row with my mother and father. I'm the mother of seven children and 10 grandchildren. All of our children grew up literally on the streets. I was never afraid. Of course, we kept an eye out for them. But now with the drugs that are on the street, designer drugs, they call them, with PCP and crystal meth and all of these things that just change a person from a human being to almost like a roaring animal, you have to be aware every minute. When I drive my car on the streets, I have my cell phone turned to 911, ready to hit that button at any minute. I have run stop signs on Skid Row when someone menacing came toward my car because the streets have changed. Drugs are more prevalent. There are more dangerous drugs. So life on Skid Row has changed. So you feed the people? We start with breakfast. People have been sleeping on the streets all night. Let me tell you how they sleep. They sleep right on the cold cement. If they're lucky, they can get a cardboard box and flatten it and sleep on that box. And then we have what we 
kind of laughingly, though it's a cruel joke, we have cardboard condos. These are long cardboard boxes, like a refrigerator might come in, and those who are lucky sleep inside that cardboard condo. Others sleep under tarpaulins of all kinds, trying to keep a bit of the body warmth close to them. So when they wake up in the morning, of course, they're hungry and they're cold. There's no place to go. The hunger is always with them. And so we invite them into the mission. Every day at Fred Jordan Mission, we feed eight to 10 different meals to different groups of people. They come in, they eat. We have men who live in our building who are in a residential rehab program, a discipleship program. Mm. They get up at five o'clock in order to eat and then to help serve the people who come. And then we have Bible studies, chapels throughout the day for children, for mothers with children, for women off the street, hardcore prostitutes, drug addicts. They support their drug habit through prostitution. And then we have services for the men. We have Spanish and English. So all day long at the mission, we're doing two things. And this is what God has called us to do. Share the bread of life, which is salvation. That's for your eternal soul. That's the most important thing we do. Amen. And then we share bread to feed the physical body. My late husband, Fred, used to say, I'm not kidding myself. Nobody comes here to hear me preach. They come to eat. But if they want to eat at this mission, they're going to hear about the bread of life first. <laughs> and so we still follow that policy. And we feed, on a year-round average, more than 1,000 people every day at Fred Jordan Mission. And then you have special days like Christmas Day and Thanksgiving. Oh, we have amazing events for for the people on the streets. Fred used to say, I think you like to party on Skid Row. And mm -hmm. I said, yes, I think so. Think of all the holidays that a family in America enjoys with their children. You know, Easter, what a wonderful time to get all the kids dressed up and, you know, to go worship the living God and celebrate the resurrection. Why get up on Skid Row? You sleep in a cardboard box. You can't go to any church. You look bad. You smell worse. You haven't had a bath in days or weeks. What's to celebrate? Because Skid Row is really a graveyard. But what a wonderful place to have a resurrection. So on <laughs> Easter Sabbath, we have a wonderful celebration on the streets of Skid Row. We set a big stage in the street and we put three crosses like on the hill of Golgotha. Hmm. And there I share the Easter message. I do it in maybe a childish, I like to think it's a unique way. Mm -hmm. I take eggs because children equate Easter with eggs. Mm. We know Easter is not about eggs, but mm. children understand. And in every egg, I take plastic eggs, I open them and there's a symbol inside. And one would be, you know, a stone. They stone Jesus, and then I hold up a big rock. The adults understand it. The children understand it. In one, there's a tiny little sword, and then I take a huge sword so everyone can see it and hold it up. And I explain the story of how Jesus was brought before Pilate and of his suffering on the cross. And, 
and then his death and his resurrection, all with the Easter eggs. And I really think the adults then understand maybe the message of the resurrection, just like the children. So Easter, Sabbath, is wonderful and special on the streets of Skid Row. So this is downtown Los Angeles. Yes. How many people would be there? Well, this Easter we're planning for 3,000. And first they will come. We will have a service with 800 to 1,000 at a time. We set tables and Mm -hmm. chairs right in the street. The city of Los Angeles is very good to help us on these events. We don't have a huge building. We only have six stories, 30,000 square feet. But when the city is willing to shut down the streets, why spend millions (laughs) on a huge facility? And living in Southern California, our weather is good. So we normally can have services. We've only had rain one time and that was at one of our Christmas celebrations, but everyone thought it was the greatest day we had because the families came, we gave toys to the children, food bags to the mothers, blankets to the families, and the volunteers had a good time. No one went home, and certainly the needy people didn't. So we have these services right in the middle of the street. I saw on national television the Christmas program. Yes. Thousands of people there. 12,000 this past Christmas in one day to hear the truth of the Christmas story. And, and the children were all getting gifts. Yes. Every child got at least three brand new toys of their very own. Now, you and I know that you don't have to give toys to children to keep them alive. Food is more important, people would say. But, you know, we always bought toys for our children. Of course. And our grandchildren. So why shouldn't the poor enjoy the same thing? And so we distributed more than 50,000 new toys. 50,000 new toys? Toys given by companies like Disney. Hmm. They're a very generous company to help the mission. Uh, MTA, the Metropolitan Transit Authority, they collected 10,000 brand new toys, beautiful quality toys. And I went over to the MTA building on the Friday before the Christmas celebration. They filled three huge brand new transit buses with big bags of toys. And what a sight that is going through the streets of Los Angeles. You know, Christmas Express to the Fred Jordan mission. Marvelous. Willie, when Fred passed away, you had this tremendous personal loss. How did you, how did you feel about carrying on the ministry? Did you think that perhaps uh, you were going to retire? Where did you get the strength to carry on from? Well, Fred and I discussed this very issue just a few days before the Lord took him. He had a massive heart attack and yes. he lived 22 days. So during that 22 days, I'm sure he was ready, mm. but it was a time of preparation for us, his yes. uh, family. Mm. And I said to him, I can't live without you. I can't, I can't carry on. I, I just can't do this. And he said, oh, that's great. Are you just going to quit? He was always so practical. You know, Mm -hmm. he took the Bible and brought it down to every day. He said, are you going to tell people that everything we have preached all of our lives is true for them, but not for you? 
He said, I thought God called you to serve him when you were only 13. I said, he did. Well, what are you going to do with that call? You're going to tell the Lord, take it back? I said, of course not. And I realized that the best way to honor what we had shared together was to continue serving the Lord. So when the Lord took Fred, it was a real, like, is, it, is your faith real? Hmm. This was a time, as the kids say, when the rubber meets the road. And you have to decide if your faith is real, if it's good every day, then is it good right now? So there was no question, of course. The Lord had called me. It was, it was suddenly as if I was single again and back where I started. And I just said, Lord, it's you and me. How did God call you when you were 13? I was at a Christian conference center. And I had known since I received Jesus as my Savior at seven years of age. I had known. You received Jesus when you were seven. When I was seven. <laughs> I was sitting in the front row of the church. My mother was all the way to the back. Mm. And when the pastor said, if you realize you're a sinner and Christ died for your sins and you want to receive him. Mm. Of course, I'd grown up in church for the previous seven years. I'd heard this message. He said, come now and and pray and ask Jesus to come into your heart to forgive your sin. I ran to the back of the church and I said, Mother, Mother, can I get saved tonight? <laughs> I didn't wait for her answer. I ran back. And that's why I believe so much in reaching children for the Lord because I can remember that mm. night I knelt more than 60 mm. years ago. Mm. And I always knew that God wanted me to do something for him. And at 13, I just said, Lord, whatever it is. And from that day, you know, I started witnessing, telling people about the Lord and then came in touch with this ministry that I now head. And my life has been committed to serving God through serving the poor. You also went to Korea yes. as a young lady. Can you tell us about that? What made you go there? Well, I just heard about the needs of the people after the war in Korea. And so I went to my parents and I was not yet 21 and I said, will you help me get a passport to go to Korea? And they kind of looked at me like I was crazy and they said no. And so I had to wait a little while till I became 21 and I could get a passport. Well, by then they had kind of gotten used to the idea. So I went and uh, I preached throughout the Philippines. And you preached Taiwan. throughout the Philippines. Well, now John, <laughs> I have to back up and say, I grew up in a tradition where women don't preach. Yes. I spoke, mm -hmm. uh, but today I would admit it was preaching. So I preached <laughs> in the Philippines and Taiwan and in Japan and then I went to get a visa to go to Korea and it had to be done through the U.S. Army because Korea right after the war mm. was under the U.S. military and they said we're sorry we're not giving any visas to missionaries. So I called back here to our headquarters and I said to Fred Jordan who later became my husband I said they won't let me into Korea so he called our local senator 
and he said, I know for a fact that you're letting in salesmen who are selling liquor of all kinds, mm. who are selling cigarettes. Now, I want you to give Miss Willie McDaniel a visa to go to Korea, or I'm going to go on national television, which we were on at that time. We had gone on in 51. He said, I'm going on national television saying our government will allow liquor mm. salesmen and they won't allow missionaries. Well, I went down the next day and got a visa. So you had no trouble. They just gave you the visa. They gave me the visa mm -hmm. and I got there and uh, I met a general going over, Major General E.J. McGraw. And I told him what I was going for. I said, I hear there's so much need and surely there's something we can do. He said, I will put my staff car at your disposal. I have some places where I know people are living horrible conditions. I want him to take you there. And so for three days, I went throughout what was then South Korea and saw needs. John, Korea was almost bombed into oblivion. I went into a Quonset hut. It was for war widows and their children. That's a, that's a a hut for the Air Force, isn't it? Right, isn't it? right. It's just yeah. a temporary structure made mm. out of uh, tin. Oh, okay. Yes. And uh, kind of rounded. Yes. And yeah. I went in this long structure with dirt floors, and there were little children. Their mothers were out digging roots mm. and trying to get something they could boil for a little mm. nourishment. And while we were there, a little five-year-old boy was caring for his one-year-old brother. And the brother had crawled into the fire just as we arrived. Uh. And he was horribly burned. Well, no one else was there. So being an American, you just kind of take charge. Mm. And so this uh, general's driver uh, came and we lifted that boy and we took him to some huts. It was called a hospital just makeshift hospital. And we stood there and I stood and watched nurses work over that little baby. And then I watched the baby die. How sad. I had never seen a person die. Mm. And to see a little child die because of, of poverty and, and it just, while I was there standing by that child, the Lord changed the course of my life. He said, remember the least of these. Mm. I didn't have any intention of just focusing on serving the poor and on children. But as I watched that baby die, I knew that my whole life. And so I returned a few months later with money that had come from friends in America. I told this story that I felt God wanted us to build an orphanage and in January 1956, I returned to Korea with enough funds. I lived there. I lived in the home of a Korean family and I hired a local contractor and we built a beautiful orphanage. Later we added a hospital and uh, thousands of children have been saved and we called it the Buddy Home. It was named for a younger brother of mine who died and uh, thousands of children. It still operates right there in Seoul, Korea. That must give you a warm feeling inside. Yes. 
but you know there are just so many needs it seems mm -hmm. so so insignificant when you see the needs of the world but thousands of little children have been helped there yes and many of those children sadly were fathered by american gi's and so i came back and those children were not accepted in korean society and I arranged adoptions for hundreds and hundreds of mixed-race children fathered by American GIs, brought them back here. Mm. And I was speaking recently here in Southern California, and a beautiful young woman came up, and uh, she introduced herself, and she said, I'm Kim Sook, and <laughs> I looked at her. She said, remember, you adopted me. You adopted her. And she brought a handsome young man and yes. four sons. And at Christmas, I got a card. <laughs> she said, I would not be alive were it not for you. Those little things keep you going. You know, maybe some days when the challenges seem almost more than the opportunities. Have you ever had those days? Mm. You know? You, you see the needs and there, there are not the funds to meet mm -hmm. the needs. Sure. And, and then you meet someone like this and you say, thank you, Jesus. Kim. Kim Sook. Kim Sook. But now she, she goes by Kim. Mm -hmm. Her name is Kim Colavecchio. She married a nice <laughs> Italian young man. <laughs> and uh, she loves God, her whole family. And, and I, I was just so thrilled. So, you know, the Lord Thank gives God. you these things Thank as God. you go along. Now, besides career, you've worked also in Africa, Liberia. Africa, Japan. We built three orphanages in Japan, again, for mixed-race children. Tell us fathered. about this. Well, in, in Japan. In Japan, we built our first orphanage in the southern island of Kyushu. And this came about because one of our missionaries won to Christ a young woman who was not married, but she was expecting a baby. And this was in 1952. And so th the father of the baby was married. And so they were going to do what at that time was very normal in Japan. They were going to crush the baby's head at birth. Goodness. And that was their type of abortion. And so she was going to give birth to the baby, never see the baby. And our missionary... Was this typical? It was very typical. Crushed over the baby's head at over birth? Over a million every year. A time. million? Every year. This doesn't happen now, does it? No, no. Back there is happening. Right. It was not long after the war. And there were so many people, they couldn't feed the ones they had. And so they didn't need any more. Now they do it uh, in different types of abortion a little earlier. Mm -hmm. To me, it's all the same, but... Mm -hmm. uh, same result? Yes, exactly. Mm. You, you lose a life. Mm. And uh, our missionary said, you can't do that. That's murder. Let me have the baby. And so the young woman, after some weeks of teaching and understanding this was against God's law, she gave the baby to our missionary, and the missionary called and said, what do we do? And we built our first orphanage in Japan, and uh, it was called Christ Children's Home. And there again, it was mostly for children of American GIs, though some 
were fathered by Japanese men. And that orphanage continues under a ministry now from South Africa that we turned it over to in the 70s. Then we built two others, one for uh, fathers of black GIs in America, from America who fathered the children. They were really outcasts and they looked like American kids and spoke Japanese. So yeah. there again, we adopted more than 500 mixed race children from Japan here. And it all started with this little baby. They were going to crush his head. Then you went to Africa. Yes. We had a young man come to us, and he was 19. He had been brought to Christ by our missionaries down in Jamaica when he was 16. The call of God was on this young man. He was a dynamite soul winner. And he said, I want to go to Africa to my own people. Well, our mission board had a policy that, you know, 19 was a little young. He hadn't yet finished his college. But the call of God was so real in his life, and he was so focused, and so we sent him. But we sent with him an older couple who have long since died, but Vince continued, and he served God in Ghana, in West Africa for 40 years, built churches, Christian day schools for children, and uh, I visited him in 1996, and I saw there how God had blessed this ministry. And uh, I could, in my mind's eye, see this young man who came to us at 16. And the last time I saw him, as I got on the plane, I said, Vince, you'll always be 16 to me. <laughs> and just a few weeks later, I got the call that the Lord had taken him. But 40 years he gave there in Ghana, West Africa. That work continues. The church is now, they're building a huge, beautiful new church. And it's being pastored by a Ghanaian man, one to Christ, trained and ordained by Brother Vince McCauley. And then the school continues, the grade school and the middle school. So the ministry continues. You plant the seed. Mm -hmm. You water and God brings the increase. Yes, God gives the increase. Um, now, Willie, coming back to Los Angeles, coming back to Skid Row again, can you talk to us about some of the people who actually come to the mission? Can you think of some individuals, what they're like? Let me tell you about one mother. Hmm. She lives on the street. She lives on the street. Literally on the street. Recently in a very bad rainstorm. Can I ask you this before you go on? Why is she living on the street? Bad choices. Mm -hmm. Went with the wrong men. Failed to marry any of them. Mm -hmm. Gave birth to nine children. Nine babies. Nine different men. She's addicted to crack cocaine. So when each child is born in our county facility, the baby is taken away at birth mm. because they're addicted to cocaine. Mm. And recently in a rainstorm, she went back to her mother's home. Now this woman is only maybe 42. She's mm -hmm. very young. And nine babies, nine, nine babies children. That she mm -hmm. will have no part in bringing mm. up. Mm. She will, they will never know their mother. 
She went back to her mother's home, hoping her mother would let her come in during the rain. And her mother said, you can't stay in this house. She was abused by her father as a child, and her mother refused to believe it. She begged her mother to, to keep her away from her father, but the mother turned against her and sided with this no good man. The mother said, well, since it's raining so hard, if you want to, you can sleep on the front porch, but leave before any of the neighbors see you. Mm. And so she comes to the mission. We're the only family she has. We have special Bible studies for these women. Are there many like this? Sadly, thousands. Thousands? Thousands. And you know, when you say thousands, people think of a statistic, mm -hmm. but they're individuals. Mm -hmm. I met one woman at the mission. She had a little child. He was about two and a half, Edwin, one of the cutest children you'd ever see. And she came in the door and she said, do you have any food? We're really hungry. She had five other children and then Edwin. She said, I came to give Edwin away today. I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, all my other children have been taken away by the county because I'm an unfit mother. And she said, I don't have any place to live with Edwin. I don't have a place to sleep. We sleep under bridges. We sleep under freeway overpasses. And she said, Edwin's going to die. And I came to give him to my social worker. I said, let's talk. Monique is her name. Beautiful woman. But the ravages of the crack cocaine have hmm. just taken their toll on her physical body. She told me about her childhood. Her parents divorced when she was 10. She begged her mother to take her during the court. As her mother walked out, she turned around she had another man, and she said to her own daughter, I don't want to ever see you again. And Monique said, I stood there and cried. And she said, that's the last time I saw my mother. Her father took her. She was surprised because she had never been around her father. Then she saw why. He shot her up with coke, and he put her out on the street. Her father did this? Her father put her on the street to earn money. And he shot her up with coke. Shot mm. her up with coke. And she showed me a vein in her neck where he used to shoot her with drugs. She said, he kept me on the streets for six years. When As she a was prostitute. Earning money for his drugs, yes. Goodness. That was in Oakland. May the Lord have mercy on oh, us. Oh, I mm. just, how, what must God think what when he looks God down mm. on this earth? Mm. So she met a man, and he said, I'll take you away from this. She was 16 or 17. He brought her to Los Angeles, and he put her out on the corner of Slauson and Alameda. That's a horrible area. I know it well. He put her out to be a prostitute for him. And her first baby was born while she was a prostitute. So she left him. She had five children. She said, you've got to pray for my kids. She said, my girl was taken away when she was eight. And she's, she was taken by a relative 
who sold the child into prostitution at eight. She said, I heard about it, called the officials. They got her back and put her in foster care. She said, I haven't seen her. A little she, girl of eight. Eight. Was sold by her own relative. John, it's about all you can do to kind of keep your head halfway straight when you hear these stories. She said, my 11-year-old, the last time I saw him. This is Edwin? No, Edwin's brother. Edwin is two and a half. Edwin's two and a half her 11-year-old son, mm -hmm. she said the last time I saw him, he had a 32. And she said, you know what happens to boys who carry guns. Mm. She said, I've got no place to go. These are the kind of people that come to the mission. Describe Edwin to us. The little boy that she was he giving was away. He was the cutest child you've ever seen. Mm. He had curly hair. <laughs> he was happy. How a child could be happy in his condition, <laughs> it, you know, it's only the grace of God. Yes. And this little boy was well-mannered. When I held out my arms, <laughs> he came to me willingly. He liked people. And so we talked to her and we prayed with her. We found a rehabilitation program a Christian program, because though men sleep in our building and we have a residential men's program, you can't mix it. So we don't have women in the mm. same building, mm. but we found a facility for her. And I met her on the street about a year and a half later, and I didn't recognize her. She had been so thin, her face mm. so drawn. And she said, Willie, don't you know me? I'm Monique beautiful woman, dressed. She has a job, got off the drugs. She continues to come to the mission because she said, you're my family. And she touches base with us every week because she knows there, there's safety, there's love, there's Jesus. There are resources she needs. Willie, the world is full of cynics. You and, oh. I've, you and I have met them. Yes. They say, well, you're perpetuating the problem by feeding these people. Do you see lives actually changed by the power of God? Now, Monique has had obviously a, a transforming experience. Have you often seen this? Not as often as I would like. I'll be mm. honest to tell you. Mm. Fred used to say, the Lord gives us just enough success to keep us going, <laughs> but not so much that we'd get the big head over it, you know. Uh, I would like to see more, but you know, the Bible does not say, and I, I wrestled mm -hmm. with this some mm -hmm. years ago. We all do. Yes, I, I thought, how can you keep helping these people? They're not always grateful. They're mm -hmm. not always nice. Mm -hmm. We are, uh, Pastor Luis was at the front desk. A man came in demanding something that Luis couldn't give him at that moment. Hmm. And uh, whatever it was, a jacket or a blanket, he was busy with someone else. And the man cleared his throat and spit in Luis's oh, face. Oh, goodness. Mm. And I was told by another staff member, Luis went and turned to the man and said, Sir... I can help you now. What do you need? 
I don't know that I could have done that, John. Mm. So they're not always grateful, but the Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Mm. And so I don't see any qualifications when he fed the multitude. Yes, of course. He set a pattern mm. that we try to follow. He preached to them first. We do that. We always preach the gospel first. If they don't want to sit and listen, then let the government feed them. Now that sounds cruel maybe. But once they eat, we often say that our, our path to the dining room leads through the chapel. Mm -hmm. So they come into the chapel, hear the gospel, then they can go in and eat their fill and we serve good food. Mm. And the Bible just says to take care of them and to preach yes. Jesus. Yes. And You know, I think of Jesus and the nine who were not very great. Of course. And Willie, as Christians, we believe that every person is a child of God. Every person is distinct and glorious. We don't believe, as the unbelievers say, that man is the product of time plus matter plus chance. We don't believe this. We believe that every person, Monique, the little boy, the man who did the spitting, all precious in the sight of God. And we believe that God created them yes just as he created yes. us yes and just as god has brought us to himself mm. because of his love mm. i believe there is opportunity for everyone if i ever quit believing that then i'm going to pack it in i'm mm. through i'm mm. no good to god or to anyone else i still believe that there is a chance for everyone mm -hmm. clyde the man who is the uh, men's coordinator of our men's discipleship program spent most of his adult life, 30 years, in and out of prison, hardcore, hmm. drug addict, fell into the mission. He didn't walk in, he fell in. Yes. God gloriously transformed his life. He is now reunited with his wife. Why? She stayed married to gloriously him. Gloriously transformed his transformed life. Transformed by God. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, we didn't do it. Mm -hmm. He lived there at the mission for two years, every day in Bible study, every day on his knees. I mean, we don't give these guys an easy out, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> Some places when you're in a rehab program, they allow you to, well, you can still smoke. Just mm -hmm. don't drink or do drugs. My late husband, Fred, said, no way. I mean, it's all or nothing. Mm -hmm. And so we run what is known on the streets of Skid Row as the hardest rehab program because we're so strict because if Jesus transforms you he doesn't do it just a little bit at a mm -hmm. time and uh, Clyde now has been with us five years he's with his wife they just bought a home last month just got approved he's so excited mm. and you know it shows what God can do Glory I wish I had thousands mm. of those but as Fred said there's enough to keep us going <laughs> Willie, you have church services on Saturdays and Sundays. And Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays. So right through the week. Throughout the week. We have Bible studies and chapels. We have at least uh, six different services every day. Every day. We're what preaching the gospel to is, somebody. What is, what is preached? What do you preach? Christ died for sinners. 
Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. No one is beyond the realm of God's love. No one is beyond the realm of his forgiving power. No one is too far for him to reach and draw and bring him close. So where sin did abound. Grace did much more abound. We're, we're the, the epitome of that on Skid Row. We're in the heart of a dark, filthy, oh. dangerous place. But God lives there. Mm. And we are not God, but we're the closest thing those people are ever going to see. And so if Jesus were here, what would he do? I think he'd be doing what you're doing. And that's what we try to do. And it's all in Jesus' name. And on occasions, you have preached on the streets. Oh, we, we preach on the streets. All of these big events. We do an event. I think maybe it's my favorite. Of course, I think they're all my favorite. I've seen favorite. you on television preaching on yes. the streets. Yes. It's a program Please. on the streets. <laughs> it's called On the Street. <laughs> on the Streets yes. with Willie Jordan. Because that's where... Millions watch it. Yes. And uh, on that program, you can see the need and you can see what God does mm. to meet that need through his people because we don't take a penny of government money. No, mm. no funding whatsoever. Mm. It all comes from caring, loving people who say, I want to be a part of that. We do a back to school new clothing giveaway every fall for children. 5,000 little kids. The shoes and the socks are provided by Foot Locker. Now, now just all say that again. Back to school. Yes. How many shoes? 5,000 pair every fall. 10,000. <laughs> 5,000 pairs of shoes. 10,000 shoes. To get Foot Locker them. has given us nearly 100,000 pair of shoes. Mm. We pay nothing. They do it out of their generous hearts. Mm. And then Sears and Guess, many companies give clothes. Uh, Disney at our back to school this last mm. fall they gave backpacks that the children couldn't put on their backs. They were so jam full of school supplies, notebooks and pens and all of these things. I mean, it is a treat and national television covers it because where else in the world are you going to see God's people meeting the needs of the poor in and, a way like and that? And so Willie, there have been a number of corporations, yes. but I imagine lots and lots of ordinary people who support this great ministry. We do have corporations that give us the things like the toys and the shoes that we could mm. never afford to buy. Mm. But the daily meeting the needs of the people, buying the food, the tons of food we serve every week, and the clothes that we give every day to people, and preaching the gospel, that is paid for by individuals who say, I want to do Jesus' work on Skid Row. Willie, was it in the year 2002? I think it was 2002 when you came with us to Ukraine. That was, now talk wasn't about it the city trans, of Kharkov? Talk about mm. transforming. That was a transforming event in my life. I had preached throughout the world but I had never been to the former Soviet Union or any of the Eastern Bloc countries. And that was a highlight for you to invite me to be part of your team. Oh, we were blessed. To, oh, you it were was amazing. A, you were a blessing to the people. Oh, it, it, was, it did more for me than I did for anyone. I just sat there basically. I'll never forget the first night at the close of the service. I can remember watching you in the audience 
and saying, praise God, we have Willie Jordan with us tonight. <laughs> and you said, after you finished your lecture, now I know most of you don't believe in God, but if there is a God, would you like me to pray for you? If prayer does work, would you like prayer? And I was on the front row and right over to my right, I looked and a young girl raised her hand with the biggest tears I think I've ever seen, mm -hmm. just rolling down her cheeks. And she raised her hand and I thought, that child never heard that there is a God till tonight. Mm. And by faith, she raised her hand. Willie, um, what you've told me today has moved my heart. It has blessed me, as well as all the people who are watching today on television. If somebody wanted to contact you, how could they contact you to support this great work on Skid Row? Well, we have an 800 number that they can call at any time. Please tell us the number. 1-800-964-FOOD. 1-800-964-FOOD. That's an easy number. Easy number. 964-FOOD. I can even remember that number. And with that number, if you want to help feed the bread of life hmm. to starving souls and yes. bread to hungry people, that's what we do. Or we have a website if they want to know more about Fred Jordan Mission. Hmm. And they could also uh, participate, donate through the website. It's fjm.org. FJM for Fred Jordan Mission.org. Willie, as you know, I'm a pastor. I pastor the church at their Community Adventist Fellowship in Arcadia. And on occasion, some of our folks have gone down to the mission, yes. like Bob Ludwig and my son David and Don Beagle and others have gone. And they come, and I've been down there too, of course. But everybody comes back visibly moved. Some of my team members say we wouldn't miss going down there at Christmas time because we become involved in a work that we think Jesus would be doing if he were here. We consider it a privilege and an honor in a small way to be associated with you, you. and to know you. You've blessed us. You give us hope to carry on. You do. You give us hope to carry on. Tell me about your personal faith in the Lord Jesus. My personal faith in Jesus is my very life. When all else is gone, mm -hmm. your faith in Jesus Christ is what you are and who you are. I'm a sinner without hope, without a future, without God. But Jesus Christ, in his mercy, died on the cross, shed his blood for the remission of my sins, and his resurrection sealed my future with him. And John, the most amazing thing is I didn't have to do anything 
to pay for this. No. His salvation is free. free. Yes. I have known him for more than 60 years. And I can't imagine living without him. I would say to anyone, the most important decision you will ever make is to receive this Jesus who offers salvation full and free. And then second, go share this good news with everyone you meet because when he returns, and he will very soon, I want to have others to bring with me. Amen. Willie, it's been a great privilege and a joy to have you, you with us today you. on the Carter Report. Thank you. On occasions, people come and say to us, you can't change the world, so why even try? God hasn't called us to change the world, but God has told us to help and bless the people that he sends to us. And the people who come within the sphere of our influence. Today we've been talking to a wonderful lady whom God is using to touch people. And by the grace of God, the Fred Jordan mission through Willie Jordan has reached and touched and blessed hundreds of thousands or more, millions and millions of people. And because Willie heard the voice of God and because she said yes to God, millions of people today are blessed. And millions of people are fed and clothed. And many, many of those people are going to be in the kingdom of God because the Fred Jordan mission was there when those people needed to hear the message of salvation. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for joining the Carter Report. Until next time, God bless you.